0: Okay, good morning or good afternoon or good evening and welcome to the third episode of JLTA podcast and today we have another guest from a Japanese language education and I'll let her introduce Um, so that way I'm not going to butcher her name. So welcome Alison.
1: Oh, I see. Yes, my name is hard to pronounce. It's Alison Fonditsa
0: okay thank you very much allison so uh if you could just tell us about yourself very briefly that'll be great
1: yes thank you and thanks very very much for having me on your podcast um well i was born in sydney and i studied japanese in high school and university and i also studied esl at university and Um, At uni, I studied to be a Japanese and ESL teacher. And then since then, I've spent my life between Japan and Australia. So when I've been in Australia, I've taught in high schools and more recently in primary school. And in Japan, um, I was teaching, first of all, at Eikaiwa schools. And then uh, for the last seven years that I was there, I was teaching English at university. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had my kids over in Japan, which was a really fantastic experience. So my son was born in Hokkaido and my daughter, Emi was born in Kanagawa.
0: Okay. So, and obviously you study Japanese and um, all through high school, but what was your first encounter as a, I guess the Japanese language or culture that encouraged you or motivated you to continue with Japanese?
1: yes well it's it's a pretty interesting and unusual beginning um my grandmother was american and she was the godmother to a little american girl named Barony. Mm-hmm. and Barony's parents so it's a little bit of a long story but i will not be too long so her parents moved to japan and when she was really small she grew up speaking japanese and I guess her parents had an idea that they wanted her to become a child star Mm -hmm. so she recorded a kind of cutesy Japanese pop song over there and they made a single out of it so She never did become a super duper pop star but i was given this record a little single that her that was made by barony and it had a picture of her on the front in a recording studio and it had her japanese song and on the cover of the record was were the lyrics in hiragana Mm -hmm. so when i was really little about five or six um, i used to just sit there and listen and sing along even though i didn't know what it meant but I was always intrigued with Japanese from that moment, really.
0: Okay. Well, that's a quite interesting, um I guess, motivation or trigger that you've got, because I know a lot of students have, like, you know, anime and manga, and, and or even like the food as their, and I guess, the inspiration to start or continue Japanese. And so yours is not unusual, but um, I guess something this bit different. Yeah. Okay, um, so I guess you've been teaching for quite a while and and what are some of the challenges you have faced in your professional career?
1: Well, when I was at university, I had an absolutely fantastic university teacher and she's a member of this group, Sue Zuros. Mm -hmm. And she taught us to be incredibly creative and super genki and she really taught us how to do that in her Um, lessons so I'm always grateful for that so she basically trained us to be a really genki teacher and so I maintained this genkiness over the years applying it to wherever I was taught uh, wherever I taught as much as possible but the biggest challenge for me is when I hit my late 40s and early 50s when my body just couldn't keep up with the genki factor So I wanted to have these fun, lively, innovative lessons where I'd be engaging the students in all different ways. But because by this time I was teaching at a school, um, and the reason I'm telling this story is because I think a lot of teachers will be able to relate to this, that I was teaching in a P to 12 school, primary students, often eight lessons in a row with no break. Um, and because it was a large school each year level had four classes so I it my health just couldn't keep up and so it was really hard so I sort of kept trying and eventually I decided to go part time Mm -hmm. and was lucky to work with an excellent partner teacher and whilst because I was working part time I started to work out different ways that I could still be Genki and teach the way I knew worked really well but take lots of shortcuts to be able to look after my own well-being so things like uh, recording songs making up stories and reading the stories and then playing those stories to um, students instead of me using my voice all the time so that was um it was hard but it sort of pushed me to learn and engage with technology in new ways as well so yeah, but that was yeah the hardest actually my husband is a language teacher too mm-hmm. and the way he put it is that he feels like an aging blue wiggle and i like that <laughs> <laughs> that's how i felt too
0: okay that's an interesting um, analogy and well i can kind of relate <laughs> as well because i'm you know in my mid-40s and teaching for about 20 years and i certainly do not have the same energy level as i did when i first started so i can definitely relate um just you mentioned the fact that you used to live in japan and raised your kids as well Um, Mm and what was it like raising your kids in japan and obviously someone who is not japanese
1: it was absolutely fantastic we we loved every minute of it the kids went to the local and the, the teachers there were I was really really impressed by how every teacher that our kids had they could all play the piano and so they incorporated music into their lessons um, and into their routines I loved the undokai it was really fun to have to communicate with the teachers in Japanese you know with the little the daily diaries so mm-hmm. the teacher would write what the what our kids were doing and then I would come home and then I'd write back and it was a really good way to keep my Japanese fresh so yeah we really loved it
0: okay so what made you want to live in Japan because obviously your husband is not Japanese but obviously you have a passion for Japanese so what made you want to live in Japan in the first place
1: Well, when I finished university, Macquarie, I was at Macquarie Uni and they had a really nice program where uh, it was an internship. So I got to go to Fukushima and live in a little town called Hiratamura. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was the most welcoming and beautiful experience in my life, really. And we are still very, very close to everybody uh, to the people in the town. That's what made me want to live there. Mm -hmm. just the warmth of the people and um, my husband came to he wasn't my husband then but he came to visit me a couple of times when I was there and then he he was originally a French and German teacher Mm -hmm. um, but he started to get the Japan bug too and so we eventually moved to Nagano and that's Mm -hmm. when he started to learn Japanese as well
0: okay it's a great story (laughs) (laughs) Um, so you obviously achieved uh, many things and one of them is about your writing your books. And But what are the other achievements that you are, I guess, proud of?
1: I think one of the most random and fun achievements, which I am proud of, was that when I was working here in Cairns at a primary school, because we had come fresh from bringing up our kids in Japan, I was into all of the Japanese TV shows like Pitagora Switchy and Nihongo de Asobo. Mm-hmm. And I really, really think those shows are amazing. So when I moved here, I wanted to expose the primary students to, to what I'd learned from the TV over there. So I taught them the Arugorizumu the, Taisō*. The Mm -hmm. and which are the year fives. And because there were four classes in year five, that's a lot of kids. And then I thought, I wonder if NHK would be interested in the fact that Australian students are singing this song and dancing to this song. So I wrote to NHK and sent them, um, I got permission first, but sent them um, pictures of the students. And this resulted in a lot of correspondence uh, over months Mm -hmm. Um, But I eventually persuaded them to come and so they flew with uh, the two comedians from that dance um, and their film crew, they all came to our school and we spent a day with all of Year 5 dancing under a big tree on the oval and then the best part was a select group of students were chosen to go on a minibus and we toured all over Cans to different locations and filmed us at like the zoo and on the beach and out at Mariba on which is heading out towards you know very very dry areas where there were termites nests and things in the end that became a show on in Japan on NHK and it was played for quite a few years so sometimes I have people come back and they say oh I saw your kids in Japan so (laughs) so that was my excited by that it was very lucky because i think they told me it was lucky too because off they said they get a lot of correspondence and it was just lucky that they read that one i think
0: okay wow that sounds great many i guess teachers will know you as a an author of the Japanese English early readers series, which, um, my school have also purchased, um, for at the beginning of this year. Um, but what were the inspiration behind writing those books?
1: Well, first of all, overall, it was when I was look. So when I was teaching in Cairns at the primary school level, I had lots of Japanese books, which I'd brought home with me. And also, um, I was able to buy a few books from Intex, actually I want to give a plug to Panda's Bathhouse, love that book. So Mm -hmm. I used to read the kids these books and they'd be available in the library and I also recorded my voice reading those books and put it on the school website because I thought I really wanted the students to be able to borrow the books and listen to them at home. Mm -hmm. But I found that it wasn't enough because the the barrier of the script was just inaccessible for most students. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to create a bridge between an, like an authentic text from Japan and, and something that the kids could actually grab onto and read at their own level. So that was really the inspiration behind the books because there was nothing like that. And I also wanted it to be aligned to the curriculum. Sure. So yeah, that was the overall reason behind writing them
0: okay so it basically came from your knees for, the, for your students rather than you just wanting uh, just for the sake of it
1: no no it was i made some stories up for my students they're not the ones that I'm selling now but mm-hmm. i made some up and i just saw the way they responded to them and and this idea of having hiragana only on one page and then you turn the page and there's hiragana with the decoded romaji above each hiragana and the English the reason I did it like that is because some students can read the hiragana only page without looking at the next page but then there's a lot of students who don't have that ability or who are not patient enough to do that yet because they're just not competent enough at reading so that's why I sort of I watched how students could go between looking at the page that they were decoding and then checking against the decoding but over time they could just check and use the hiragana only page so that was the main idea behind it so I developed it for for school saw that it worked and then decided to to get into it and there's another important aspect to the books which I would like to mention that is that they're not they haven't been written just to teach Japanese Mm -hmm. most of the books come with another aspect another element to them so I really wanted them to be engaging sometimes they're humorous sometimes Mm -hmm. they are uh, you know just meant to be fun story but a lot of the times they are linking with uh, important issues like sustainability homelessness and there's one about cyber safety as well. So I've been trying to write the book so they engage the students to really use their critical thinking skills and so that they're not only learning Japanese language, but they're engaging their brains at a, at a deeper level, which will ultimately mean that there's more language learning happening as well because they're engaged.
0: Okay. Um, so there are obviously other teachers who you know might be interested in publishing and uh, what other steps that you actually chose to you know get it from basically writing your own to getting it published?
1: It's a really detailed process but anyone can do it as long as they've got the time and it was first of all of course you have to have the ideas for for what you want to do so step one is to work out what stories you'd like to tell and how you're going to illustrate it. I looked at publishing on through a textbook or on Amazon, but basically it was such a niche market, Japanese teachers, and I'm really written them for Australian students. I decided that I would publish them myself. So I needed to have people who would edit the work and check it for me. So I had to collect those people who I'm very grateful and then i learned about getting i so if you self-publish then you need to get register isbn numbers so that they're useful they can be read in the library and be registered and then i had to find a printer so i wanted to have an australian printer and luckily we found a really great one locally so we've had them printed here in cans so there are a lot of Steps um, and it takes an incredible amount of time and effort. So, so it's something. The reason I was able to do the first batch or the first series was because, first of all, I had to go and look after my um, stepfather who had Alzheimer's, and so I was sitting with him for two weeks straight while my, my mom was in hospital, and so I had this downtime where I really couldn't move away from where he was. And I knew that I had this time coming up. So I was able to sit down and just brainstorm for two weeks, which was the main, that's where the stories came from. But then mm-hmm. once I had that in place, I took six weeks long service leave and worked harder than I ever have to, to put it all together.
0: Okay. So your, your work is basically ours now for your dedication and your ideas.
1: Yes. And, of course, the, the people who help me. So I've, I've got, um, I'm not sure if they want me to say their names, but they're on the book. But I have okay. editors and, so, and they help really well as well. So they look at the, the language that I've used and they look at the, um, the story and they critique me all the way along so and my husband as well he's part of that process so they look at all sorts of there's three of them and they look at the stories in different ways and yeah they do a huge amount of work as well
0: okay so you have the website as well that um that people can buy what's the easiest way for people to purchase uh, those books if they're interested
1: you i think the most common method is just emailing us through the website with a purchase order which I didn't know about when I started writing books because I studied all about writing and publishing but then when I got to the business I was a little bit out of my depth but I learned about purchase orders and that's where basically a teacher will say can I please have this set and I'd like this 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 and this is my school and they give mm-hmm. us the details, we write an invoice and then we ship the books with the invoice and the, te- and the school will pay the invoice later. So you can do it that way or mm-hmm. you can just buy them online.
0: Okay. And um, So obviously you had that enough time to dedicate on publishing or coming up with the ideas and publishing. What's your, I guess, the future publishing um, plans at this stage?
1: Well, at the moment, we've just, well, we published the chocolate series this year. So we had the mustard series, aqua series, and then the chocolate series. In the long-term future, I really want to do one more series, and it will be matcha. Okay. (laughs) But for now, I don't have time to write any more books. But what my husband is working on is turning them into, making workbooks that will go with the books and um plans that would go with the books as
0: well okay yes. so watch watch this space i guess
1: <laughs> thank you shingo sensei
0: <laughs> um so just very briefly like what is what's the i guess the best thing about being a japanese educator or, like, or your you know your publishing in general
1: in general i in terms of teaching i think it's teaching it we're lucky because I know every teacher says that they love their subject area, but I think Japanese teachers are special because we really, really love our subject area. It's a huge part of our lives. So whenever I talk about Japan, it's it's from my heart. So it's really nice to have any... the, The job is related to, you know, who I am. So i love... To be able to teach about something that I'm so passionate about and in terms of the books as I said I've always liked to be creative in you know writing songs or writing stories for my own students but to have that now have turned into writing books that students around Australia are reading that's really really satisfying and a little bit as well.
0: Okay, Um, so finally, what is your favorite Japanese word or phrase? Which is the question I ask all the guests.
1: Okay, I would say it's And the reason is, when I was at school, I learned that it was good luck. Mm -hmm. And I love that it means so much more than that in Japan. That it's not a, a fatalistic luck, it's hard work. Um, oh. and stuck together, so I really like
0: 頑張ってください Okay, great Well, thank you very much for your time and uh, I wish you good luck uh, in the future in terms of more publishing gozaimashita. <laughs>